0: And hello, everybody. Welcome to Narrative on a Tuesday evening, a breaking news Tuesday evening. It's good to be with you tonight as we prepare for the first phase in Stephen Bannon's uh, declaration or whatever it will be that he's uh, in contempt of Congress. Uh, Hi, Heidi Kuda. How are you? Oh, I can't hear you. Why can't I hear you? You're you're muted, probably. (laughs) I
1: am muted. Yeah, I am unmuted. You're unmuted right Uh, now.
0: We are just uh, rolling into the show, like uh, as we always do with a lot of thunder, because uh, we were trying to set up the live feed and try and talk to our amazing guests tonight. who will join us in just a few minutes. Uh, Rachel Bitterkoffer, who's a fantastic uh, strategist, like one of the best strategists in the world. And the reason we invited her on tonight is because she's been the anti-red wave uh, architect and Stephen Bannon is sort of the red wave architect. So we thought we'd bring the anti-red wave architect here. And she'll be joining us in just a few minutes to give us her analysis. And later on, the very amazing Andrew Laufer, who you all know from Twitter, the civil rights attorney, will be joining us to give us analysis from 7.30 as the vote starts getting on underway at the, at the January 6th committee. He'll be giving us a blow-by-blow analysis. He's had a lot to say about uh, the, this whole process and whether uh, the committee is doing the right thing and the right processes in terms of finding Bannon in contempt. And so we'll get to all of that in just a bit. And tonight's show is Bannon, wall-to-wall, because there's no better villain than Stephen Bannon in the story of Trump-Russia, when you really think about it. I mean, he's sort of He's an understated villain. He's not the guy you'd actually expect to do very much, but I think behind the scenes, Stephen Bannon has pulled a lot of strings in the last few years and certainly around January 6th, and we'll be unpacking some of his network, some of the people he may work with, or he does work with, some of the people he may work for, including perhaps China um, and maybe Russia, maybe other countries around the world. So we'll get to that a little later on after we get to the starting block. Heidi, you'll be checking uh, in on people's messages and hopefully they'll be yes, uh, making sure we don't make any mistakes along the way.
1: <laughs> They're already being smart asses, Zev. They're like, what's the news today? There's no news. <laughs>
0: I don't think there is any news, but you know what we do have? We do have the starting block. Just imagine I have oh, three pa- three faces yeah. on here, but I don't have three faces on here. You have two. The three faces I would be showing you if they were here would be Oleg Deripaska would be the first one. Who's the second?
1: Uh, Christopher Steele, the spy who came in from the cold.
0: And the third one?
1: Uh, Colin Powell, yes.
0: All right. So let's start with the big news of the day, which is Oleg Deripaska getting his homes raided both in New York and in Washington DC. We're not quite sure why, although I would hazard a guess, that it has something to do with 2016. You know, not only is Oleg Deripaska one of the biggest central figures in everything that happened with Trump-Russia in 2016, he's also tied to a couple of other scandals which have followed from 2016 which include all sorts of corruption in our political circles. And, you know, Oleg Deripaska is pretty prone to this. It's not the first time he's found himself maybe buying off a politician or two. He's done in the UK for he's mastered uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, there's no reason why he wouldn't do the same thing here in the United States.
1: Yeah, it's apparently related to U.S. sanctions. And when you look at the things that he was sanctioned for, he's not super nice racketeering and money laundering, possibly uh, <laughs> trying to everything. kill somebody.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting if it is about the U.S. sanctions and it has a lot to do with maybe uh, Mitch McConnell's, uh, you know, sudden discovery of an aluminum plant in his In kentucky uh, because uh, that's what derry pasca gave him in exchange for the dropping of sanctions it'll be really interesting to see where this unfolds it does seem to be involving some sort of buying of a politician so we'll keep an eye on that and we'll keep you informed as that story develops there's a great story on narrative.org about derry pasca from 2019 if you want to learn about him it's uh, it's one of my favorites from narrative.org so check that out just search Derry pasca also in the news today and it's not unrelated is christopher Steele finally breaking his silence
1: that's right he told george stephanopoulos that he stands by everything that was in the dossier he believes trump is still a threat he believes that russia is still at targeting our country and he also believes that there is a possibility that the compromise take on trump does actually exist
0: yes i wonder who has it i wonder if stephen bannon has it some people speculate (laughs) that he might you know it's really interesting that christopher Steele comes out and does this interview with george stephanopoulos just A day before the Derry raids, because they aren't uh, disconnected at all. You know, there is a lot of credence to the evidence that Steele actually worked for Derry Paska for a period of time when he was trying to get his visa, Derry Paska's visa, approved to come to the United States. And he was in negotiation with the FBI. It was Christopher Steele who negotiated on his behalf. So he certainly knows who Derry Paska is, and he certainly knows what his intentions are. It's interesting that these two things just followed day after each other i mean it could be coincidence but we know that doesn't happen anymore in the real world
1: yeah and one thing we do know that bannon is a leaker
0: yeah (laughs) oh he's a leaker. (laughs) very good very good actually that's the best joke i've heard about P tape in a long time so thank you very much well done (laughs) you made my day and i needed that joke and uh finally uh you know we said goodbye to colin powell what a truly great man. And anyone else out there who's saying that, you know, has questions still about what that man did in, in the Iraq war, sure. There's lots of questions about what happened back then. Yeah, I think if, in the years since then, he's made up for all of that and then some and shown us what, it really, what real leadership is all about. You know, he'll be missed. But however, there was a last interview that he had something to say about yes. Donald Trump. Tell us about this.
1: Yes, we don't grade people on an average. And this man is really uh, an incredible man, broke so many barriers. But the one mm-hmm. gift that Colin Powell gave us that I think is really quite beautiful is his final interview with Bob Woodward. He basically said that Trump was on his way to the Capitol to overturn, uh, you know, the election and to threaten our government. Mm. And so that is on the record from Colin Powell and we thank him for that.
0: Yes. And that ties in with the big news of the day and Colin Powell will be missed as a, as a great general and a great secretary of state, but also someone that we'll keep in our minds as we think about what leadership looks like in the future United States. So let's move That's to the right. big story of the day. Let's get into Mr. Steve Bannon and what's going on in the January 6th committee. That's where right now they are beginning to assemble. I see empty chairs right now, but there will be filled chairs by the time we get to the 730. And this January 6th committee is going to determine whether they are going to find Mr. Bannon in contempt. Then it goes from there. You know, it doesn't quite end there. Tonight they have the vote on holding Bannon in contempt. That's just the committee. Once the committee decides, then they should go to the full house. That'll be in a matter of days. Could be a little less, but it'll be probably in a few days. There'll be a full house vote on whether he, they find him in contempt. Then it goes to the Department of Justice where it uh, will be investigated, and maybe they'll have charges. Maybe they won't. They don't have, they're not, under no obligation to charge Bannon, although certainly, if it certainly comes as a recommendation form from the committee. Then it certainly will, looks likely that they will do something, or at least they panel a grand jury so on that note, let me welcome Rachel Bitterkoffer to the show. We have been, I've been looking forward to having you on the show for so long, and it's finally nice to finally meet you. Hi, Rachel. How are you?
2: Well, we did have that exciting near miss.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's great you're here. And I can see you. So that's amazing. Rachel, what's your take on what's going on today? I mean, why don't you tell people who you are first? Tell, tell us, tell everyone about how amazing you are as a strategist.
2: Uh, I like to go in 007 though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll play money no. penny.
2: <laughs> I, I'm a recovering <laughs> academic, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Oh, one of those. Uh, we know those.
2: I made the career killing uh, mistake of telling the truth without tenure, you know. So, <laughs> and now I am a. I, I mean, I actually spent a, a brief like tenure too, as, as an election analyst type. But I am now using all of my professorial and analytical skills to try to help Democrats improve electioneering. And it's a lot focused on messaging, uh, taking us away from like old school mobilization, persuasion, like dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy, and moving into like a GOP-style brand-centered, like (laughs) warfare-style electioneering system. So it's uh, quite an exciting time to be me. Uh, It it is true that Steve Bannon's trying to bring a red wave that I'm trying to stop, but. I think that's kind of like the more like sporty way to put it. Bannon is trained to bring a global decline of democracy. And at least here in America, partially me and other committed people are trying to stop it. So I think that's really the important way to, to frame what's happening between Bannon and I and why I'm excited to talk about the pig pen of the fascist movement. <laughs>
1: Oh, oh, Zev, I can't hear you. You're muted right now.
0: There you go. Hi, I'm there. I've been talking long, <laughs> enjoying your conversation, nevertheless. Um, so, it's, it, you know, why are the Democrats so bad at this? Why? The, I mean, it's not even a secret. It's like everybody knows they just can't seem to message even when they have an upper hand, um, like it seems they've had in the last couple of years. What's going on? Are they just too well-meaning or too conciliatory or don't they have a fight in them? What's going on with the Democrats?
2: It's really important to understand, actually, that it is that. I mean, it is Mm -hmm. that because like so much so like what has happened to the Republican Party now is flowing bottom up in a lot of ways. But Mm -hmm. prior to that, it was programmed in top-down, right? And it tapped into elements of conservatism and that worldview on the right side of the aisle, authoritarian, kind of strict parent model stuff. It tapped into things that were like latent and predisposed to those kind of personalities. With us, because we are more nuanced intellectual Thinkers who like to see the good in people. Where we all hear John Lennon's "Imagine" and we cry.
0: Right? <laughs> I right. do all the time. <laughs> you pegged it's me right. Very,
2: <laughs> <laughs> so it's our very like innateness to idealism that hurts us so right. profoundly in terms of electioneering. Because in order to electioneer effectively in the in the elector that the Republican media ecosystem rich writ large, and that really is um a double whammy between what they do in media and what they do in their electioneering space like in order for us to combat that we have to accept some hard truths about the american voter they aren't policy motivated unless it's delivered to them in an emotive fearful over the top rhetorical way they aren't well read in terms of current events they don't understand how the government functions so they're very imagistic and very therefore very malleable and marketable via fear and negative emotions. So you know those are hard pills to swallow. a lot of our research we spend a shit ton on r and d, but a lot of it is about confirmation bias. so if you're not asking the right research questions, mm. you can get data all day to support your preconceived notions um yeah so it's, it's, I, it's
0: I get that I, <laughs> I get yeah, the they're not into policy I get that who's into policy nobody? But the fact that they're into authoritarianism is really surprising. I mean, that seems to be like a, like a real a real jump for any American to go down that route. And yet, there they are, like eagerly awaiting an authoritarian state and eagerly awaiting a, a white nationalist state. I mean... I don't get it i mean it just doesn't seem like what they you know either we were sold the wrong bill of goods about what america was in the first place or they've been or they've been sold a bill of goods which one is it number one or number two well,
2: Stewart stevens who ran five republican presidential campaigns yeah. would tell you winner winner check chicken dinner yeah. on that buddy because yeah. and his book which i suggest everyone read it's all a lie because he, you know, this is a man that came to terms like it's not like the republican party was this thing and then it became something else, okay? Mm -hmm. It was always a lie. And so the reason that now authoritarianism and nationalism has hit this early fascist Italy, early fascist Germany like Mm -hmm. scene is Mm -hmm. because one of our key value has been white supremacy and not just white supremacy, but white male dominance. Mm -hmm. And now we are moving not just in America, but in um, this is every, you know, good democracy shares um, same thing. We're moving into a post-like white dominance, white male dominance world. And I call it like eagle to, uh, uh, egalitarian. 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 Egalitarian, yes. <laughs> because, yes. Because, even professor. Hard get word. Stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Egalitarian <laughs> era, right? <laughs> yeah. And like, so like, why? So when you ask, like, why are are we seeing democracy challenged in many places, not just here, and why is mm. Bannon's effort global and not just here? It's because like this white hegemony which Mm. has been in place i mean people think forever but actually the truth is white european dominance is kind of um you know the 1400s on or the 1200s on right but it's a long time structural thing that's being challenged now for the first time and it's one thing to say hey we're gonna you know end segregation make equality between men and women Mm -hmm. and racial minorities but now we're 50 years in So that equality is actually getting implemented, that power dominance is actually being challenged in meaningful ways. And and that's what you and it's so makes the population very susceptible to what Bannon is designing intentionally and delivering. And he's got many allies and partners in that certainly not mm. alone but yeah you know we should i mean talk it's so about, fascinating like, to I'm
0: me sure. that he's you know this whole like, Let's talk about this um the attack on the school boards you know this is this uh, i mean it seems like terrorism it just seems like terrorism it feels like they're going after these nice parents in their nice schools and attacking them i mean it's uh, when you turn children into your targets it just seems you know it seems unconscionable yet somehow that's going to work for them
2: well, guess where the Nazis started.
0: <laughs> Did they They started school there
2: boards. These, place they started is in the schools and guys, let me explain what Bannon's strategy is because yeah. cool. I, I think I sent this out like, um, you know the tr- Trump is dumb, right? but the mm. M- Stephen Miller, Bannon, Roger Stone, and these that crew, mm. they've been very strategic and intentional about what they're doing and if you've studied the rise of fascism or like how mm. if people i don't think you understand like the nazi party was non-existent had no political power it tried a violent overthrow that was like a total joke and then mm. it, it endeavored while hitler was in jail for five years to turn itself into a legitimate political party and within 10 years controlled the whole country right yeah. how did they do it they started in By going after the schools, Mm -hmm. you know, getting a vocal minority to attack the school boards, attack like the curriculum, and then take over the curriculum and turn it into their party propaganda. So, you Mm -hmm. know, it's not like it's organic. And my point is, it looks organic, but -hmm. it's like a lot of things on the right, it's part of a strategy. To lay the groundwork for bigger things.
0: And it's also, they used the Vatican, they used the elite of Germany. I mean, they had a lot of support from other places, not just, um, it looks like a grassroots movement, but it isn't a grassroots movement, is what I, I guess I'm exactly trying to say. Right. Yeah. So you've got, um, we know this. We know this about Nazi Germany. We know what they, that that happened there. Why can't we right. just stop it from happening here? Why is it so hard for us to, to stop it?
2: Well, because of the same reason it was hard to stop there. Because by the time the threat becomes obvious to the average person, it's far too far down the road. Right. Right. So like, um, you know, what we are trying to do, me, the never Trump people who are on the pro-democracy bandwagon, some elements of like partisan Democrats who are able to see the forest for the trees, because, you know, obviously Democrats have power in Washington right now. And so that makes think. them focus on policy, right? Because <laughs> right. you want to use, so it's, it's kind of sidetracking from the democratic crisis, right? right. And the never Trumpers don't have anything else to focus on,
1: right? right. So it's
2: not like a, they have a purer heart, it's just that that's what they're focused on. Yeah, but so it's, it's about me and others trying to get our half of the electorate to understand we have like a five alarm fire. Like mm-hmm. a five alarm mm-hmm. fire. Right yeah. <laughs> Six know? alarm fire.
0: Whatever whatever you have, like yeah. ten alarm fire.
2: But you can only like go into a seven eleven. Yeah. Or, like, you know, Starbucks, because you want someone college educated, so you at least yeah. get like a philosophy major, right? Yeah. you know, and mention to them, like, that, that we're on the brink of democratic collapse, which I do every time I interact with regular right. folks because, like, that focus group, regular people all the time, mm-hmm. and, like, they don't know that. They're always like, wow, it's that bad. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know it. why I don't they
0: know it? it? We've all been yelling yeah. it for years. I mean, I've been that sitting really here on this show <laughs> for years, yelling at the people, everyone's been yelling at them for years. Why don't people realize how serious this is?
1: I think there's a few things. One question that viewers have is how did Democrats take the gloves off? There still is there's a sentiment that the GOP's gone full amoral. And the democrats still have empathy and care so how do they actually take the gloves off and fight this war is one of the questions yeah
2: i would encourage anybody watching this if they haven't seen our collection of videos like the youtube page doesn't include like all the people who've seen it right because it's had pretty good play but like i would highly recommend you watch our launch video which is called fuse and it shows how like to make the case about democracy being on the ballot like 22 like the reason the midterms are everyone's so like pessimistic about it as a political scientist is i can promise you like the midterm fundamental is really rough right but what makes it rough is that like we especially on this side never like shape our own media narratives we don't manipulate media coverage the way that the right does and they've built own machine to do it now but even Within that, they still manipulate the media narrative. We don't do that. So when we think about how do you get around a midterm effect, you have to be pounding the other side because they're going to pound you. And that's really yeah. the GOP's playbook, right? They never right. run on policy. They run against us, right? right. They basically win elections by disqualifying us. And so when you ask me like specifically, how do you take the gloves off? I'm here to tell you, it's not some like hypothesis. I can show you how to do this go to the YouTube page and see like how you weaponize this branding, framing, attack shit that they pull out on us. That's like hyperbolic. The nice thing is we don't have to make shit up because they're so nuts, right? Like, so right. it's all truthful, right? Uh, but it's hyperbolic because we gotta make ads that talk to people in the gut. They don't, people's heads, they don't know shit. Right. We talk to them in the gut. So um, right. So I would say Thanks. like to them, there's a way to do it. And I'm and Thanks, showing thank people you. how to.
1: Uh, One other thing, Um, I unblocked Mitch McConnell for the first time today on Twitter uh, because of the Derek Cosca thing. Yes, I did.
2: (laughs) And and, and, and to your point- McConnell peers, right? (laughs) To your point,
1: every single tweet of his started, Democrats are, Democrats are, like it was some sort of Mm. Mad Libs and they pound that negative messaging and there's something to learn there. Another question the viewers have, is they want to know if this red pushback that we see in the media is actually smaller than it appears? They also want to know if it's organic. I think we've already answered that, or if it's like Coke funded, funded by you know uh, dark money essentially.
2: Um, so, so
1: did you, can you can um, remind me of the first question that you asked again? Sure. Yeah, they want to know if the. If, what they see in the news is all of this crazy happening at school boards and right, right. craziness about homeschooling. And they want to know if the red pushback is smaller than we think, if, oh, yeah, it, if yes. it's not as, okay, great. Yeah. What can you yeah. tell them about that and where you think it actually stems from if it's organic or not organic? Yeah, yeah.
2: So, I mean, here's the thing. like. Usually when you've got like one size partisans showing up and yelling at, you know, public meetings, that's like a sign of enthusiasm, right? And I'm not to say that these people like these anti mask aren't enthusiastic. It's just that we also saw like a good turnout at the Women's March, right? We're seeing good early voting in Virginia. We saw good turnout in the California recall, which are good. I guess these are things we now know, hard data, not polls that we didn't have before to look back and kind of analytically assess. So in terms of, is it a real movement? Yeah, it is, okay, but it's also a fake movement because I can guarantee you if, let's say, Hillary Clinton had been president or anybody, like any other, maybe not a Democrat, like um, Rubio, and this pandemic had come in and he's sane, so he would not have ever turned the pandemic into this weird, you know, crazy partisan issue. The people are crazy about the pandemic because the GOP's media system, influencer network, and its politicians told them to be, right? I know for sure that that is a top-down effect. There's always some vaccine nuts, but this, what we're seeing in this vaccine rejection, and I started telling people this was coming way before the vaccines were released um, when I saw the coverage and Trump's response that uh, what we're seeing here is is basically a weaponization, a symbolization, right? And like a, a vocal minority can be very distorting. So like when we think about like the NRA, like that when they're agitated, it can look very distorting. And they've been very agitated here in Virginia since the Democrats actually made some modest common sense gun reform. I mean, nothing crazy, just saying, Mm. you know, maybe wife beaters shouldn't have guns. So, like, when we get the election results in a couple of weeks, we're going to find out. Like, did all these rallies and all the shit that they were doing matter Mm. or not, right?
0: What is it when you say, uh, uh, like, a GOP messaging? Give us an example of what that might look like compared to what the Democrats do now.
2: Yeah, sure. I was talking to a reporter today, a Mm -hmm. Financial Times article. He asked me, like, oh, what do you mean by, like, like how like cuz i was like listen the reason that the press is able to set this narrative about the dollar figure for mm-hmm. the build back better reconciliation bill mm-hmm. is because the democrats don't do a coordinated talking point everyone's pounding it like hey sniper version of selling the bill right, right? the gop would pick one thing mm-hmm. either to run against or to run for and they would make that the symbol of the whole legislation. Right. And right. even if it did a piss-poor job of representing the legislation, they would still do it because they understand cerebrally the average voter can't hold on to nuance and complexity. They'll tune it out as soon as it starts coming out them. They need simplicity. And so like you would run on hey we're passing the biggest middle class tax cut in decades mm-hmm. and the republicans are blocking it right mm-hmm. yes <laughs> and then you would just pound that like why do republicans support every tax cut except for the one that goes to you mm-hmm. american middle class right Rice. and if you just made that stand out in front of all the like you know there's a bunch of great shit. Our impulse is, oh, we got to tell everybody about all the great shit. Yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> like, no one wants. No one gets excited yeah. about broadband. I mean, it's, right. it's interesting. No
2: shit. And, the, re- but... <laughs> and like, the reason we want to do that is because we think everyone's like us. And right. if everyone was like us, yes, they wouldn't need to know about all the good shit. But then we wouldn't need to tell them because yeah. they'd already know and they'd already vote. Yeah. They,
0: you know what I mean? Childcare is so a good like, one. Everyone understands yeah. child care yeah, so like, much GMT, better than broadband.
2: If, if this was reversed, right? Yeah. And like they would just murder us on voting against yeah. this thing.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. oh, oh yeah of course
2: like, it wouldn't. It doesn't matter if like the way that the thing came to the middle class was by sacrificial demon sacrifices of infants and <laughs> older. Right. They yeah. could Still disviscerate us for doing yeah. against us yeah. so that's all we got to do like we already know exactly what we got to do we already have a team in place myself included on this team that can articulate this shit into like executable yeah. product yeah. and we just got to get it into in the field you know
0: right so there's potentially <laughs> child care and they're fascists. so you you know not only do they want to take away your child there's <laughs> a lot there to run on um
2: that's right that's right well i mean you know there's a way to sell fascism like the Mm -hmm. fear of it right Mm -hmm. like when you gotta make people feel it in their bones right Mm -hmm. like what will fascism mean to this like white suburban Mm middle-class mom Mm -hmm. right and like how will it affect them economically what's going to happen when it's their door that gets knocked
0: yeah or like just the naivety of it i mean i grew up in south africa so i have a good idea of what it's like to grow up in a fascist country and it's awful in every regard i mean you have no sense of you can't speak out you can't you don't trust your friends you don't trust your neighbors you don't know who's going to call the cops on you you don't know who's going to you know is someone going to tell someone at the school that just your kid has been misbehaving and
2: yeah, you bring that shit to yeah. life in a, yeah. in a 30 second ad, yeah. right? With like some good Hollywood production mm-hmm. budget behind it because we we that's our asset. They've got yep. a propaganda network and it's firing yeah. full tilt and it goes now. For local TV news, local newspapers, they bought it all up, right? Yeah, uh, We've got Hollywood, dude. We've, we've
0: got Hollywood also. We've got real yeah. fear. I mean, that's something to be really scared well, of. Shit. It's really sca- scary, scary to, think add, to think
2: of. I will make you ads yeah. that will freak people mm-hmm. out. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> we need that. We need,
0: we need yes. that. I they just we're do. not seeing well, it. It makes me nervous we're not seeing it because
2: But here's the other, I mean, here's the thing, and mm-hmm. like for anybody who's watching this and thinking, well, I don't want to do that to people. The other side mm-hmm. is doing that to yes. other people. That's why right. they're coming for your democracy because mm-hmm. they've been told already. You're coming for theirs.
0: Right. It is all fear. There's I mean, there's so everything funny. that GOP stands for has been fear, but it's all just been ratcheting yeah. up the fear. So it's yeah. kind of sad we're here at this stage. Let's talk a little bit about yeah. Bannon's um, involvement in Jan 6 as this committee gets going here a little bit. Yeah. You know, We think of Bannon as sort of this kind of not really that involved strategist, but he really is kind of involved. He's more involved than we realize. You know, certainly the committee is looking at what he did on January the 5th, which is meet with a bunch of congressional leaders to try and convince them to stop the vote when they voted on the vote on the 6th. But he also said, um, you know, quite tellingly, and everyone's been pointing to this one quote, that there'll be all hell is going to break loose tomorrow. I think he said on his on The War Room, that's his podcast, which is also, you know, a tool for ratcheting up fear. Just even the name itself, The War Room, indicates that you're sitting there, you know, r- ratcheting up some sort of conflict, even though there isn't one that's necessarily going on. But it also turns out that he was very involved in actually coming up with a whole strategy for what date to pick, when is the right moment to do this? And, and he came up with January 6th. And the biggest tell I think that people are missing is... Is that on January, you know, the three main players in January 6th, Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, Stephen Bannon, there's others, of course, but certainly these are your, you know, three key ones. All three of these guys got pardoned by Donald Trump just before January 6th at various times, but just before January 6th. The the thinking seems to be that basically they were pardoned so they can go out and commit another crime in January the 6th. You know, to me, that kind of pattern is really interesting because it does take us back to Donald Trump's involvement in that day. The idea that he might have been the central figure involved in pardoning these three in order to then uh, have them commit another crime actually involves him quite directly in this crime. Many people are telling me that it's going to be Bannon who is scapegoated in this whole event, that it's not going to be anywhere near Donald Trump or get up to that level. But we could see someone like Bannon scapegoated. Do you think that'll be enough if someone like Bannon gets, uh, gets thrown in jail? Would that be enough to satisfy the hunger of Democrats? I
2: mean, I don't know about that, but Mm. I know it's not enough to satisfy the rule of law, right? Right. Uh, I mean, here's what we know. Number one, and this is always important to stress January 6th is a capstone event in a series of events designed to stage an illegal coup and steal Mm. permanent power in the US and democracy, right? Mm. Now, of course, like we have more detail because the Eastman menu uh, memo memo came out. And so, like, we're starting to see more of that. But we already know there was like an attempted coup at the Justice Department to find someone who would invalidate the election results. Mm-hmm. Bannon, Stone, and the others were all pardoned. Of course, Bannon was pardoned on midnight of January 19th, right? Right before yeah. the um, impeachment. But I think it was to cover him retroactively for all of these conspiratorial plotting, right? To steal power. And they did it all in plain sight. I mean, we like we saw what we saw. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, so we know that like Trump and Bannon and Roger Stone were all in contact. We know Roger Stone was in contact with these Proud Boys. Like, we know for sure that Trump was involved with these men in some capacity on the planning and execution of January six. This yeah. is much more like complicit and culpable activity from Trump. Than his words on the stage on that day, in my opinion. Like, oh, go to the Capitol and tell them you're pissed, right? Like, yeah. that you could argue was artfully worded, but like he meant go outside and yell at them. Yeah, there's right? an excuse for that.
0: There's a way <laughs> yeah. to get off that.
2: Yeah, that to me is not, you know, is, is neither here nor there. It's the activities that he did, which included January 6th to seize power that are much more, you know, I mean, there's just so much that we can see in public view. And you know, Eastman memo was something we didn't even know about until yeah. two weeks ago. So like, obviously there's a lot there. Now to get all the way up to Trump, I do think it is gonna be a hitch that he tended not to put anything in electronics. And for a dumb man, that's pretty smart. And he is dumb, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that is a complicating factor.
0: I think Baton put a lot dumb. in electronics. I think we'll see a lot from him. Thank you for spending your time with Narrative and stay tuned. There's much more to this conversation in our next episode. Narrative is made possible by viewers and listeners like you who join at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Join today and support truly independent journalism. Patreon.com forward slash narrative.